0: students is that when you graduate there's only three things you need to be really good at three things
1: Hi everyone and welcome back to the Dental Head Start Podcast. My name is Erica Huin and I'm so excited to be introducing our feature for the month, Dr. Sui Ong. Oral surgeon by day, weightlifter by night, founder of DPR and an all-round awesome guy. This is such a jam-packed episode filled with fun stories and great clinical tips for new grads. We talk about everything from oral surgery to how weightlifting changed Sui's life, his early days as a magician, the differences between practicing in Australia versus New Zealand and of course the humble origins of DPR which I'm sure you are all just as curious as I was about. We talk about what's shaped Sui's attitude towards sharing his knowledge and why he's so passionate about educating the younger generation, especially when it comes to oral surgery. I just want to say a big, big thank you to Sui for his contributions to the dental community. This was such an honor of an episode to record and Sui is such a humble and down to earth person and I don't think he realizes just the impact he's had on our industry. Dr. Sui is also one of the superstar lineup speakers for the Dental Summit, which is being held next year, September 1st and 2nd. And over the next few months, we'll be chatting with the entire lineup of speakers to hear more about them, so stay tuned for what's to come. But first, let's hear a little bit from Hayden's Corner.
2: Welcome back, everyone, to Hayden's Corner. I'm pleased to announce that for this month's giving project, thanks to all our listeners and the support of our sponsors, the SSN Foundation will be receiving $1,000 to help provide free dental care for vulnerable children. Because you listen to the podcast, not only are you getting a head start in dentistry, but you are also helping to contribute to greater causes just like this. To tell us more about the SSN Foundation, I've brought on Olan Hartley, a final year dental student and the operations manager for the foundation.
3: So my name is Olan Hartley. I'm actually in my final year of dentistry at Griffith University and I'm currently working as the operations manager for Esseson Foundation, which is a non-for-profit organization that provides dental health care to vulnerable children.
2: So how did the SSN Foundation start?
3: So SSN Foundation was founded by Dr. Ajitha Signanam in 2011. Actually, it was working initially on a global scale. So it was registered in India and was reaching various places like Uganda, Cambodia, Vietnam, uh, with the mission of providing help to underprivileged communities. So help basically is an acronym which stands for healthcare, education, living essentials, and providing opportunities and life skills. Uh, more recently with COVID, uh, we weren't able to reach that international stage. So we started looking locally at developing an oral health program for underprivileged communities in Southeast Queensland, more specifically uh, vulnerable children.
2: What are some of the adversities that these children would face in adhering to oral care? So
3: the children that we see um, come from various vulnerable backgrounds, including those from refugee and asylum seeker backgrounds, low socioeconomic status, children of families um, that come from domestic abuse, children with disabilities, and various children with culturally and linguistically diverse backgrounds, um, all of which can hinder their access to dental care.
2: So what can those listening to the podcast do to contribute or help out?
3: So there's a number of ways that you can uh, really help the foundation out. We do host regular dental clinic days um, on a monthly basis at various private practices. So we have generous donors, whether it's private practice owners who donate their clinic for a day or clinicians who donate their time Um, Dental students also donating their time, DAs, you name it. And we host these days, everyone comes together and we provide free dental treatment and oral health education to these underprivileged children. You can also provide some monetary assistance, so donating directly to the foundation and the donation of consumables as well.
2: To find out more, you can hit up their website at ssn.org which is spelt E-S-E-S-S-O-N, which we'll put in the description of this episode. You can also contact their various social media platforms on Facebook and Instagram and LinkedIn. And now I'll leave it back to Erica and Sui Ong.
1: Dr. Sui Ong, welcome to the Dental Head Start Podcast.
0: Great, happy to be here.
1: Yeah, I'm really excited to have this conversation with you. I think it's been a long time coming, but I kind of wanted to kickstart our conversation because I've heard that you're a professional weightlifter. <laughs> Is that correct? <laughs> oh, goodness me. <laughs> I thought it okay. well, a bit I'll, of an I'll, icebreaker. Uh, <laughs> I, I
0: would go as far as to say professional. Um, I do I mean, I mean, do compete. I do train often. Um but i wouldn't say i'm professional i mean professional is like you're doing it for a job right so i can i can't quite get to that level yet um so no i'm not i'm not, i won't call myself a professional uh weightlifter uh, i would say that i'm a i don't know i i'm an enthusiast i suppose and um, a weightlifting enthusiast yeah and and i do represent my club or to in competitions and things but but yeah that's that's about the extent of it um, and you know, I just try to do the best I can. And I was aiming for a few national records at one stage and I'm still hoping to get there, but you know, it's a, it's a hard slog. But it's it's good, yes.
1: <laughs> that that's so fascinating. No, the reason I wanted to ask that was because well, you're you are a oral surgeon. You're a qualified oral surgeon, and I wanted to ask you: Does the weightlifting help you extract teeth?
0: No, the <laughs> or is it the other way around? No, the weightlifting does not help me extract it. People think that I did weightlifting to help me extract it. No, it definitely does not help me extract teeth. Uh, if anything. <laughs> If anything, it makes me less efficient because I get injuries yeah. from weightlifting. Um oh, no. no! it's a funny story. The weightlifting because a lot of people don't think, "Oh my god, why would you do weightlifting?" You know, um, I, I think I think there's a big difference as well between. See, there are three different sports: they are weightlifting, powerlifting, and CrossFit. So those are three, yeah. So there's three very different sports. A lot of people know what CrossFit is because that's extremely popular, and a lot of people know what powerlifting is. Um, but weightlifting is what they do in the Olympics. You know, the the if you, if you watch the Olympics, that's the weightlifting. That's what they do. So so the, the how I how I ended up doing it because I never thought I'll do this crazy sport. I mean, I I never thought I'll do something like this, but. I was I was basically having the typical dentist-related back pain, you know, the dentist-related neck pain, all the aches and pains that comes from sitting all day, uh, working in someone's mouth, blah, blah. And I realized, and then postgraduate training was even worse because you're sitting in front of a computer writing your thesis and what have you, and, and there's more sedentary movements and things like that. So you know, when I graduated from oral surgery, you know, I've always had back pain, right? You know, like dentists always have back pain, neck pain, that sort of stuff. And then one day, my back just spasmed like crazy, and and I, I couldn't move. I couldn't. I had to lie down. You know, I had to cancel my day, all that sort of stuff. And yeah, it was it was a it was a wake up call, really, because you know, I just opened my practice, and and then I've. And now I've got this physical disability, so so I realized I had to do something. So it just so happened that I um I went to the gym, you know. I thought, okay, what do I have to do? I go to the gym, and I hate going to the gym. I, I just hate it. And I had I got a personal trainer and all that sort of stuff to tell me what to do because I don't know what to do. And um and it just so happened, just so happened that the personal trainer that I had was South Island's national champion in weightlifting, in weightlifting. And then he basically said, Hey, look, you have the body shape and type, you know, body type for weightlifting. And I was like, Oh, don't be stupid. I'm not going to do weightlifting. That's it's dumb. <laughs> and he goes, no, yeah. no, really, you know, blah, 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 And then he said, no, just give this guy a call, which is the coach. And, and he'll, he'll hook you up. He'll hook you up. And then, so I had some introductory sessions with him and, Oh, honestly after that i was hooked to the sport really to be honest and um yeah
1: what was it exactly that hooked you well, uh, as, well, as someone who wasn't interested like what got you into it
0: well okay so so i hated going to the gym because you know you don't want to go to the gym and mindlessly just run on a treadmill mindlessly lifting weights and go oh this is whatever and and you end up injuring yourself you see because you end up doing things that's wrong and you and your techniques wrong and all that. So weightlifting has two elements to it that makes this, that solve this issue. Uh, the first one is that weightlifting is an extremely technical sport. It's a very tech, it, it has a lot to do with technique, which is really quite cool. You know, like it kind of, it kind of gets the mind, the, the, the brain juices going, you know? Uh, so that's the first one. And then the second one is that you do competitions. You do weightlifting competitions. Uh, so, yeah. so now you don't do weightlifting competitions to, to win. You know, you don't do weightlifting competitions to beat someone else. You don't do weightlifting competitions to get records, right? You do weightlifting competitions to better yourself in a way and, and, and kind of challenge yourself. So, so therefore, you give yourself a goal. You give yourself a goal to say, okay, I want to lift this much at the competition or I want to live this much at the competition. So, so it gives your training purpose. So you want to train because you want to get good at that. You want to perform well at that competition. And, because, and that's the problem with going to the gym mindlessly. There is no goal. There, 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 there's no, nothing to work towards. So, so when you have a coach coaching you and I do have a coach to coach me because you want to make sure that you're doing it right and not injuring yourself um, and you give yourself that goal you then have purpose to go to the gym and do this, you know. So, so it, it spurs you on, you know. It gives you that, um, that push to do it because if you don't have that push, you just go, oh, I'm too tired from work today. I'm not going to do it, you know. <laughs> that's so true. Yeah. yeah. So, so you need that sort of goal. Um, so that that's what's cool about weightlifting. And I can honestly say ever since I started, I have not had a single back pain, neck pain. From from work, ever I, I I honestly can't remember the last time I had any aches and pains from. No from way. It. Yeah, yeah. Do so, you feel
1: like it's just because of the way it's like strengthened your yeah, muscles or changed your posture? One hundred percent.
0: Yeah, your posture is so much better. Your uh, your core strength is so much better. Uh, your stability, flexibility, all that sort of stuff is so much better. Um, and I've I've gotten so many dentists into it. Um, because I just feel like it is so good for uh, our profession, actually, and um, and it just not just stimulates the physical; it stimulates the mental, which is really cool, and um, and yeah, it's it's actually a, it marries up with dentistry actually quite well. Um, but obviously, yeah, injuries uh, are you know it, it can happen, obviously, so that's why you got to be careful with, um, with with the sport. But you can get injuries from anything. You can get injuries from running. You can get injuries from, I don't know, playing badminton, whatever, (laughs) right? So you can, you can get injuries from any sport. So it's like any sport, you got to do it with the right technique, right way, all that sort of stuff. So, no, it's, it's really cool. It's a, it's a it's a cool sport. You know,
1: that's so fascinating. You know what's really funny, Sui, is that I feel like we've almost become a sports channel. Like for all our listeners, they're probably laughing because just last week, uh, which was actually probably it will be a few months ahead when this gets released, but I had a chat with Dr. Alvana Timmerman, who's an endodontist based in Melbourne. And the morning that we did our um, interview, she ran a marathon like 42 kilometers. And we had a chat about just marathon running and then, you know, how physical activity is real, like how the parallels between that and dentistry, how it trains your mindset and all that. And I just find it fascinating. It's really interesting hearing you talk so passionately about weightlifting.
0: And and it's so important to have that outside of dentistry, honestly, like uh, um, especially if it's something to do with the physical activity stuff as well. It, It really, because I think we need both. I really think we need both. To have a happy life, to have a happy career. To have a happy career. Uh, I mean, I, I, my only regret is I, I didn't start this in my mid twenties. I only, I only started this in my mid thirties. So, so I wish I had started earlier. Um, because one, I probably would have had more gains in weightlifting because it's harder, it's way harder to start strength stuff when I'm, you know, at mid thirties rather than the, when you're younger. Um, but yeah, a hundred percent agree. I mean, um, you know, I, my physique is just not built for running. So I, for all my life, I've been trying to find the sport slash physical activity that actually uh, complements, yeah, that suits me. Because some people are just built for running, you know, and some people are just built for other things and i guess weightlifting has never been in my mind until now so so it is you got to find what suits your body shape body type i think that's the key and um and if you look at all the best weightlifters in the world they all kind of have the same body type you know i see it's like it's like it's like the all the basketball players are tall you know it's not. It's not because you play basketball and you become tall. Is it, yeah. that, that all? The tall people just happen to play basketball because it, it's, it's effective for that sport. So, so in a way, you kind of have to find the right, uh, yeah, find the right sort of activity for your body shape. And I found it. You know, I finally found it, and for me, it's, it's, it's definitely been beneficial. Yeah,
1: that's awesome. So, yeah. Sui, so when you come to Australia next year, we're going to hit the gym, and you're going to teach me how to yeah. weight lift. Yeah,
0: hundred percent. Right? <laughs> I actually wanted to run. A yeah. seminar where we do oral surgery and then we have like a like a introductory <laughs> weightlifting session. I mean, how cool Ooh. would that be? I mean, you know, <laughs> that'd that, be so fun. That, that would be like a a course with a difference. That's for sure, right? Um, I would love to combine those two those two passions actually because I've gotten quite a few dentists into the sport and like in the gym now. There's a few dental students. There's a few dentists. There's a few even some a, a few specialists even as well. Uh, doing the the, in our gym now so that's really cool you almost could have a dental team in weightlifting at at, at my gym so that's really really cool really cool
1: oh have you have you thought of a a a name like surely you need to come up with like a clever punny name for like your weightlifting dental team
0: we haven't gotten that far yet but um, yeah food for thought for the future
1: Yeah, no, I think that's really exciting and really interesting to hear like how passionate you are about that and how, you know, it's complemented your dentistry. But winding it back a little. So clearly you said you only got into this in the last few years. So it wasn't your, you know, dream or childhood ambition to become a weightlifter, but was dentistry always like your dream? Was that always on the card?
0: Definitely not. I mean, I don't think I uh, I don't think dentistry is still my passion in a way because you know how when you're in high school and then you you're trying to find what career you need to do and then you go to like the careers advisor, you know? And yeah, yeah. Uh, and then you do these sort of personality tests or something and then they tell you, "Oh, yes, your personality is more suited to be a teacher or a doctor or a lawyer, whatever." I remember doing that personality test in my first job as in in Australia. And dentistry was not even near what I was meant to be, right? I had the whole, you know, I had the whole upbringing of study hard, go to university, and get a good degree. Sort of um, culture slash pressure, if you like slash mentality. Um, and I just landed in dentistry. Really, to be honest, I never set out to do dentistry because I came to Otago from Auckland because I did high school in Auckland. And then I came down to Otago to try and get into medicine. Right, but then halfway through, halfway through my first year, I actually didn't want to do medicine anymore because, uh, yeah, because my brother did medicine and I saw how much hard work he had to work, and then some of my good friends here who are very very smart didn't want to do medicine at all. They they chose dentistry because they didn't like the you know all the disadvantages of medicine, and uh, so I slowly kind of got convinced that oh maybe dentistry is a okay thing to do you know it's not just teeth sort of thing um and then and then i met a few dental students at the time when i was doing my first year and and they were talking so passionately about dentistry and how cool it is you know that that you get to give injections straight away you don't have to like wait till you graduate like medical students to do anything and all this sort of stuff so i thought oh man this is really quite cool you know um so that's kind of how i i landed in dentistry really um, but I, I, I have to be honest, like, I don't think, I don't think I'm super awesome, good at dentistry. I don't, I, I never, I don't, I still don't think I'm very good clinically. I'm very at humble dentistry. of you. No, I, I honestly don't think, I mean, I, you look at all the, all the people that are doing stuff on, on social media and I'm like, damn, I'm not even, I'm not even remotely in the same stratosphere as these people, general dentists and specialists alike, you know? So I, I just don't think, I mean, I can do the basics really, really well, obviously, but like, I just don't think I'm at that level sometimes. So, but I, I that's why my passion is never in actual clinical dentistry. I don't think like nah, it's taken me to almost 20 years to figure out that, you know, I, I, that the mentorship side and the teaching side and all this sort of stuff is probably more my cup of tea. It's taken me a long time to realize that and, um, but, you know all the experience I've had helps that as well, so that's kind of good that I've been through all that. Uh, but no, dentistry, I don't think it's ever been my first choice, and uh, yeah, but you just sort of make it work for make it work for you, you know.
1: Mm-hmm. So even after you graduated dental school, were you still because you were saying how it wasn't on your radar, but then you were interested by your know, friends and the things of that other people were saying you got into dentistry. Then how was dental school and then graduating for you? Like, did you start you know buying into it, or were you still kind of on the fence? No, I, I think you had
0: to you have to buy into it because it's like oh my god, this is me, this is my career, I'm going to be a dentist, so I got to do it. But as every dental student slash new grad will tell you, there are you know, you feel so nervous about being a dentist for the first time. You are extremely unconfident. Some people have the confidence, obviously, when they graduate. But I was definitely not that. I was very uh, tentative. You know, I wasn't sure what I was doing, all that sort of stuff. So I needed a lot of guidance and I needed a lot of mentoring, you know, when I, when I, when I first graduated. And you slowly build that confidence, obviously, over time. And then you slowly buy into it. You do slowly buy into it. And then you get enthusiastic when you go to CPD courses and then you go, yeah, I can do this. You know, you go to endo courses and you go, right, I can find that canal and, and all that sort of stuff. So, and then you, but then the thing is you give it a go, you give it a good, hard go. And then that's when I go, man, I'm really not that good, <laughs> you know, and, and you, you start to realize what you're good at and what you're not good at. Um, you know, I was quite lucky. I was in a very rural, I worked in rural Australia when I was in. Um, when, when I, when I graduated, after my house surgeon, I, I, I went to rural Australia. And I was quite lucky that the practice that I worked at had to do everything. You know, they have to, it's one of those uh, super dental practice sort of thing. You know, like you have to do implants, ortho, perio, endo, pros, full mouth rehab, whatever, all that stuff. Because there's no specialist that we didn't have the luxury of specialists to refer to. So I had to dip my hands into everything, you know. And, um, and you kind of figure out, you, you kind of figure out quite quickly what you're good at and what you're not passionate at and all that sort of stuff. So yeah, you buy in, you have to buy in, you have to give it a good solid go. And I did give it a good solid go. Um, but I guess that's why, (laughs) I guess that's why after 10 years of doing that, you kind of think, yeah, maybe, maybe I should specialize or something. Maybe I should post do some post-grad and, 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 and get really good at one thing or something like that, you know?
1: No, I feel like it's a thing. So I'm in my final year at the moment and we're getting to like the pointy end of it because it's the final semester and it's all about like, oh, meeting, meeting requirements. We're about to graduate. Everyone's talking about like the kind of dentist that you want to be. And I'm like, yeah, I very much feel that trepidation of just like, yeah, I'm about to graduate, but I don't feel ready yet. I don't really know what areas I'm interested in. It's like exciting, but also very daunting as well to be like, oh, I need to do it on my
0: own. Oh, 100% is daunting. So, so I have a lot of dental students come to my practice and either work for me casually as an assistant or observe and all that sort of stuff. I, I actually welcome a lot of dental students in my practice um, to, to observe what happens in the real world in a way. you Because know? dental school, the patients you see, I like to call, I like to say that the, the, the patients you see at dental school are not real. They're not real because they know that you're a student, so they, they know that you'll take three hours to do something you know they they know that they <laughs> yeah. know it's not real, but but when you go into the real world, uh, it's very different. So I always uh, encourage dental students to come and uh, observe and all that sort of stuff. And and I tell them all the time that you will never be ready when you graduate dental school. No matter how hard you try, you'll never be truly ready because it's not the same. Uh, dental school patients and real world patients are just not the same. So what I always say to the students is that when you graduate, there's only three things you need to be really good at. Three things. The first one is you need to be able to do very good treatment planning. Okay? You know, so you treatment plan your cases really well. So not just treatment plan the one tooth, but treatment plan the patient. You know, treatment plan the 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 not just the dentition, but the patient themselves. Right? You treatment plan them. Um, whether you can do all the work in the treatment plan, it doesn't matter, but you have to still be able to treatment plan that uh, patient. So that's all mental work. That's all the brain stuff, right? So, yeah. So then the second thing you got to do is be able to communicate that treatment plan to your patients in a a non-jargon, easy to understand way. And that's a skill. That is definitely a, a difficult skill because we don't get taught that stuff at dental school really well. So to communicate what you're trying to treat, you know, say to the patient, it's a hard thing to do, especially when there are different types of patients as well. So you like, you got to decipher the patient's personality and the way they understand stuff, uh, and you have to be able to communicate to them in, a, in, a, in an understandable way. So that's the second thing. And then the third and final thing you have to be good at when you graduate is to give good, effective local anesthesia that's it that's it that's the three things that's the three things because because how do you get good at dentistry it's by repetition by doing things over and over and over again right so it's like i'll 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 come back to the sports analogy okay so tiger woods didn't get good at the, his golf swing by doing it a couple of times he does thousands of golf swings you know to get good Roger Federer, Rafa Nadal, these sort of tennis players, they do thousands of forehands and practice, slices, whatever, to get good to perform on the world stage, right? Um, so so same with dentistry. you just got to do thousands of fillings, thousands of uh, crowns and root canals, whatever, to get any good, right? Now, you're never going to get that at dental school because you just don't have that volume. So you you don't have the volume. So the only way you're going to get that is in private practice, Right? But if you, if, if you can't treatment plan, and if you can't communicate, and if you can't give local anesthesia, you can't
1: even… You won't get very you're far. You're not going to get far. Yeah.
0: You're, you're never going to get the practice that you require. So, so it's better to have the mindset of, you know what, I need, I need to get the practice in. I know that. I need the practice still when I graduate. So if you already understand that that's that's already one step ahead then you go right if I can nail those three things that's how I'm going to that's how I'm going to get the reps in get the get the repetitions in to get good at your dentistry but I think the problem is is that a lot of dental students feel like they should be confident already when they graduate but I I don't think it's there you know you like I I didn't get confident taking out wisdom teeth after Hundreds of wisdom teeth, you know, you know. Until now, now I can close my eyes and do it. But, but you know, I didn't get to this stage by doing a few. You, you know, you guys got to do it over and over again. You got to stuff like you have to make mistakes over and over again. You, you, you know, it's just repetition, honestly. Um, but you're not going to get that repetition unless you can communicate with the patient and let the patient be comfortable with you. Um, and give good local anesthesia and do your treatment pain-free-ish.
1: I feel like you read my mind, Sui, because um, actually in my questions, I have a list of questions I'm like, oh, I want to ask Sui today. Um, And one of the ones near the end was just like, do you have any tips on giving painless LA? And then you just gave it as one of the tips that you feel like we need to be good at. So maybe we'll jump into it Uh. right now whilst we're on the topic. Do you have any tips? Because I feel like this is something that I struggle with because I know it's such an important part of making your patient comfortable. But like even as like a little bit of story time, yesterday we had an emergency patient come in and I just needed to do two filling for her like 3637 uh, three, DOs, right? And I gave her a block and the block worked. She was like numb, tongue was numb, lip was numb and then we were drilling and then she's like, oh. And she started feeling it and I don't know, I was just like, I still struggle with getting patients comfortable and fully numbed up or like doing, delivering it in a way that's painless. So do you have any tips on how it, to do this the, the, effectively?
0: It, it is, It is probably the hardest skill that we have to learn um, and, it's, and, it's a, and, it, and it is a skill that is actually unique to dentists um, because none of the other medical professions know how to give local in the oral cavity. We, we are technically the experts when it comes to uh, local anesthesia and anatomy of the head and neck. So what I would say to your, to your situation about how to give good local anesthesia is actually to know your anatomy right because it's all about knowing your anatomy and it's all about being able to know that there are anatomical variations uh, to your patients and also unfortunately there's some psychological aspects to giving good local anesthesia as well because you can you can give amazing local anesthesia but if the patient is a it's you know psychologically maybe a little bit different or whatever it, it's a difficult it's a difficult thing to to get across you know so your example with the 3637 lower molars, basically, you know, sometimes there's accessory innovation to those teeth, you know. Um, so even though your block works and your tongue's numb, your lips numb, which is your lips, the most important one, the tongue, yes, is important too, but you can get away with it sometimes if the tongue's not numb. Um, so now you know, so if the tongue is numb, you know that your inferior alveolar nerve has been Got, you've got it, and you've, if the tongue's funny as well, then you know that you've got your lingual nerve. So, what are the other possibilities? Well, there are always possibilities of infiltration from the buccal and the lingual as well. So, you know, you got your long buccal nerves, and then you've got your mandibular and high- potentially accessory nerves. So, you just got to hit hit it with everything you've got, and, uh, and 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 that. And unfortunately, sometimes you kind of have to do the process of elimination. Right. So, so this is this. I'll, I'll, I'll jump onto one topic that is actually quite controversial, and that is the articaine block versus lignocane block thing. Because talking to a lot of my colleagues, um, they they'll go, Oh, I'll give articaine block, you know, because because that's more profound and that's more uh, that's a that's a more stronger anesthesia, and it is, you know, like because it's got better bone penetration, all that sort of stuff. Now I I and then the debate whether it's safe and all that sort of stuff. So I I I tell my dentists all the time that it's not a question of safety. I don't give adicaine blocks, but it's not because I don't believe adicaine block is safe or not. And um, the reason why I don't give adicaine block is because that's like my third backup. If someone is not numb, you see, so I can get someone numb probably 95% of the time with just lignocaine and omepivacaine with adrenaline, right? 95%, I reckon, most people should be able to get them numb with 90 to 95% with just that lignocaine block, okay? But if it doesn't work, then I usually go again with the lignocaine or the same same solution, higher. I usually go higher, right, because maybe the lingular or the foramen is a little bit higher and I might have missed, you know, whatever, I go higher, you know, in the, in the, in the trajectory of the block. Now, sometimes I even accidentally do a Gal Gates, you know, if, if, I, accidentally, if I go high. But, but that's my backup. That's my second option, you see? Now, I reckon that will get 4% out of the 5% that's, that's, that didn't get, didn't get numb. Okay, now for the one percent that's still left, I still got my other K block up my sleeve. You see, so if they're still not numb after doing everything, then I'll go right other K block. Boof. So so I I reserve that that ace in the hand. You see, so I don't. I, so the the question is not I don't. I think it's unsafe or whatever. It's my backup plan. It's my. It's backup not your first plan. point of call. No, it's not my first point of call. So so I don't want to give other K block straight up because. If it doesn't work, then you're like kind of screwed in a way because it's like, okay, what next? What are you going to do next? You see? Yeah, because I'm confident that I can get 95% of people numb or 95%, 98% of people numb with my lignocanes. And then I can save my canes for the infiltrations and, and the backup block, you see. So, so that's, my, that's my philosophy with that. Uh, and it's worked well for me. And, I, and, I, and that's what I teach. Um, and that's what I do every single day in practice. So yeah, so I just feel like if when people go straight for the article block I just feel psh, you you know, you're you're skipping you're you're skipping your first two choices here, you know. Uh, and it's like it's like taking out wisdom teeth or taking out teeth. You want backup plans, you know, because a lot of people when they're taking out teeth, they don't have plan A, plan B, plan C, plan D. So they take out a tooth and they and they get into trouble and then they don't have the they're like, Okay, what next? I don't know. So 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 that's when the stress and the sweat comes right Um, because they don't have that backup plan so if you have a good backup plan you're never going to be stressed because if something doesn't work you're like oh well i got i got plan b sweet let's do it you know so so that's my philosophy in dentistry in a way and that's that's like my go-to tip for giving better la Know, know your anatomy and when it comes to blocks that's my strategy when it comes to blocks
1: as a student or new grad, CBD can be expensive. The cost of the course itself, flight tickets, accommodation and finding time amidst clinic, lectures and exams can be a lot. Thankfully, our friends at Ripe Global have got you covered. Ripe Global offers an education platform with hundreds of hours of lectures, hands-on procedures and recordings of live content from their full day courses. And you can access it all from the comfort of your own home. To get 10% off the annual membership, use our code Dental Head Start. For more information, check out our show notes or visit ripeglobal.com. In terms of like delivering the LA, do you have any tips for like, you know, when you're inserting the needle, like you know, do you do the topical anesthesia first and then like you have a lot of people say different things about like, oh, you know, maybe just put in a little bit first, let that numb up and then you go all the way or like even actually palatal injections where like where they're known to be painful do you have any
0: tips on like delivering yeah well uh, mm. i have to be honest not a lot mm. of my patients are sedated so okay. I,
1: <laughs> that I, makes it easy <laughs> I, I, I don't
0: really i don't really i just go straight in but i mean i i don't do the whole inserting a little bit thing and all that because i just feel patients just want to get it over and done with <laughs> so so I just I just get to where I need to go as quickly as I can. Uh and, and, and just go nice and slow, nice and slow, and then and then just come out. Um, yeah, because I just feel patients just they just want to get it over and done with, right? They don't wanna be there longer than they wanna be. So know know your anatomy, get to the apex of where you're trying to go and just and just deposit the solution where you need to go. In terms of palato um, in terms of palato, that is a very painful spot. And, um, I do a little bit of voice coaching with the patients, you know, like breathing in and, and I kind of just give them a preemption that, you know, it's going to be a little tender, that sort of stuff. Um, but I do the old, the old topical on the mirror handle trick. Do you guys, have you guys know about the topical on the mirror handle trick?
1: Not on not on the mirror handle. Tell so, me Okay,
0: so you put a bit of topical on where you need to go. So say you need to go greater palatine, there's a palatine, whatever. Um, so you put a bit of topical on where you need to go. But I, so at the uh, the other end of the mirror handle, so, you know, the, the butt end, I put a bit of topical on the butt end and I push the palatal tissue where I need to go. And I actually leave it there for a good minute, you know, so that I put, you know, firm. Just like holding it. Yeah. Put put like a bit of firm pressure. Put a firm pressure, and you can actually see some blanching of the of the tissues when you when you do that. And then, so the idea there is that the pressure and the topical will kind of uh, numb up that area a little bit. And then, and I'll go. Okay, take a deep breath in. Three, two, one. And I and I and I put the needle where I've been pushing. The the handle. And then I kind of, kind of do like a whole in-out sort of deal with the needle, and that can sometimes reduce the sting a little bit, um, because I think the pressure has the same principle as like the Gates theory principle thing. You know, doesn't always work. Some patients will still will still get find it very uncomfortable. Uh, but I find that that kind of takes the sting away a little bit. But I always also say when I put topical on that. The topical is not going to make it painless, right? The topical will make it will, will take this I like to say, take the bite away, take the sting away a little bit, okay Because sometimes if you put topical on, some patients think that you'll be painless, but that's not the truth that, that, you know so so you put topical on, if you say, "Oh you know I'm going to put some gel on your gum to numb it up," they'll think that when you give the needle, it won't be sore, but, but so thats, that's uh, that the expectations is not met you know so patients get cranky if you know whatever so if i say look the topical the, i'm going to put some gel on your gum uh, it will take a sting away a little bit but you probably but you will still feel it you know it kind of it kind of gives patients the right expectation level as well um, and if they don't feel it great you look like a hero but <laughs> if it if it if it still has a little bit you haven't lied to the patient you know so i think a lot of it is a bit of patient management a little bit of like talking to them and all that sort of stuff as well but, yeah, so that's that's yeah, that's that's yeah, just what I do every day, same thing, no difference. Yeah.
1: I think it's just like another trick up the sleeve of, like, I think we experiment and figure what works in our hands, what works for different patients, and every patient responds in a different way. But I like the topical on the mirror handle trick, and maybe I'll give it a, give go, it a go next time I'm in clinic. Yeah. And, and
0: that's the thing, what, yeah. what do you have to lose? Nothing, right? You have to give it a go. And, and like I said, it doesn't always work, but it sometimes works, and that's okay, I'll take that. I'll take that. The, there are so many things out there, like the wand, you know, and like the vibrating uh, injection thingy. Uh, there's the, the topic, uh, the, the local anesthesia warming thing where it warms up the, the anesthetic because the, the temperature difference can sometimes be sore. There's so many gadgets out there, there's so many toys out there. Um, I personally haven't tried any of them. Some people swear by them. Um, so, I don't know. I don't know. I, I haven't found... The, the best solution is still sedation.
1: <laughs> <laughs> just, knock <them> <laughs> yeah, just knock them out. Yeah, just uh, knock them out. But, yeah, obviously, yeah.
0: that's not a choice for everyone.
1: No, that that's awesome, Zoe. So, that was, like, your 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 third golden thing of, you know, what you guys should be good at. With the terms of, like, treatment planning and communication, and I know you said that the only way we get good at it is just, like, repetition, doing a lot of it. But do you have any, like... Um, advice on how to get good at treatment planning communication Were there certain
0: courses or
1: books yeah, or, there, your mentors there, that you spoke to there,
0: there mm-hmm. are there are so many good courses out there now on communication and things you know treatment planning treatment planning is pretty much a prosthodontic uh, specialty right because pros is like pros to me is like the conductor of the orchestra right they are the they are the Ones that tell the oral surgeon what to do, they are the ones that then tell the perios what they need to be done, the endo, what you know, the ortho, and then they then, you know, do make full up the case. So, so pros is like the key in terms of treatment planning. So, if you want a good course on treatment planning, I would say just talk to the prosthodontist. <laughs> um, they'll they'll probably know what's a good course in treatment planning. I, I haven't done a treatment planning course in years, so um, my treatment planning skills comes from years in general practice so you know because i've you know i've done that sort of stuff seen that sort of stuff that's i i i kind of pull from my experience when it comes to treatment planning a little bit Uh, in terms of communication the the best thing i can actually advise students or, or new grads to do is actually to record yourself it's actually to to go, okay, if I have a patient with a 3-6 MOD and a lingual cus fracture, right? That's like a like very classic uh, scenario with the 306 MOD amalgam with the lingual cus fracture. Because there's so many ways of treating something like that. So I actually get all my students to go, okay, I'm the patient with the 36 fracture. I want you to convince me or talk to me like a patient. In terms of what you want to do, whether it's a patch up restoration, a crown, an onlay, or a redo, whatever, I don't care. But I want to record record the conversation, and I want you to talk to me like a patient. Because when you record yourself, you suddenly hear what your patients are hearing, and... You suddenly hear your voice, which everyone hates hearing your own voice. <laughs> um, yeah. But that's what the patient hears, you know? So if you're listening to it, you're like, oh my goodness, you know, do I really sound like that? Oh, my voice is so pitchy or high, or oh, I'm, <laughs> I'm saying all these ums and, you know, you know, and filler words. And you start to realize, geez, I can't even convince myself to get a crown. How am I gonna convince my patients? So that's the first one. That's the first uh, tip, I suppose, that everyone should do, because they, you know, that's about their hearing. You know, that that's really important. So that's the first thing. The second one is a visual one. Now I can't remember where I learned this from, um, but what I've been, I, what, what I saw on um, this lesson is that they, you want to record yourself as well, like video, record yourself, but turn the volume off. Turn the volume off. So you're just looking at your, you know, you're just looking at all your weird arm gestures and your body language and all that sort of stuff. So, and that is a language too. So, so by turning off the volume, you don't have the voice to distract you. You're just looking at what your body language is doing. So that, that I think is really important because I know some dentists, they talk to their patients with still their loops and mask on. Now I know in COVID times, you kind of need your mask on anyway, but, um, but yeah, you, you know, talking to patients with the loops on still, it's kind of a little bit whatever. Um, you know, some, pa- some dentists, you know, they sit you know, very close and talk to the patients, you know, and that, that's not very, I say, you know, welcoming, I would say. So that's not great either. Um, when, I was, when I was working in Australia, every time I need to do a treatment plan appointment with my patients or any sort of discussion, I don't get them to sit in a dental chair. I get them to sit at my desk. You know, I, I get them to sit at my desk and I show them pictures and whatever on the computer and I'm like talking to them in, the, in a very neutral, non-aggressive environment. You know, patients are really hating coming to the dentist. So you want to sit them in a very, you know, neutral sort of environment. So that's why I like to have a desk in, my, in, this, in the surgery so that you can have a proper, like a proper conversation with your patients yeah so so communication i mean that's number one that's the first things you should do obviously there's also all the things you can learn to what to say and all that sort of stuff um but there are courses I think you can go to for all that and there are there are good courses and bad courses as well because there are there are some courses that are very like pushy you know like they they just want to push you to get the treatment done whereas there are some that's actually quite good um i'm not gonna I'm not gonna recommend any because I'm not I, otherwise, I'll, they'll feel like I'm being affiliated with them or something. But <laughs> but you'll find them. <laughs> no, on no, Facebook no, no. and I mean, they're they're all advertising themselves on Facebook. So, um, so I think you just have to go there.
1: I feel like that was a really good tip about like you know recording yourself and watching listening. Can I ask? Was it Vin Giang by any chance that it you could, watched that video from? It could have from? been. It could have yeah, been. Yeah,
0: because yeah, Vin has some excellent stuff. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah, and so for people who don't know, Vin Kyung's a magician um, and um, he's actually been like my current muse because I've gone through all of his videos because he's such a good communicator um, and I think I watched a video where he was talking about like if you want to get better at communicating, like you need to look at the way that your tone, your voice and then also your body language and your actions and actually when you're talking about like recording yourself and hearing it... Um, I, I run a podcast. So <laughs> it was very much a wake up call. I remember doing my first interview and listening to myself. And it's like, oh, I use so many filler words and like, you know, and oh, like, oh, that sounds great. Like, just like words that you just repeat just to, to, to block out this, um, the, the silence. But I think it's good hearing it and then catching yourself and being aware of it. So I think there's a very good tips.
0: Yeah, no, Vin, Vin, Vin's excellent, and I, I, I found out about Vin um, because I used to be a pro magician um, as well. Did you really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I actually still have my website. My website is still active, suimagic.com. So um, So, so. Oh my goodness! Yeah, so, time to
1: look it up. Yeah, so, <laughs> so,
0: so, so I was a pro magician before a pro weightlifter. Okay. Uh, um, so, so, um, I, I can't remember who told me about Vin. I think it was Derek Mahoney, actually, but he told me to get in touch with Vin because we are both magicians and we are both into the whole speaking, um, speaking, um, environment thing. Um, because as magicians, the way you rehearse your magic tricks is by recording yourself, is by rehearsing the tricks. And by rehearsing your scripting, because everything you say in the magic trick is actually really important, um, because you're trying to convince an audience about, you know, a trick that is, you know, you're essentially lying. <laughs> you are you are lying to your audience in a way because you're dece- deceiving them, and it's a very interesting art form. But anyway, so so I was doing that for the ho- my entire time that I was working in Australia. I, I got to. I got to travel around a little bit doing magic for for corporates. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had, I did some wedding. I did quite a lot of weddings, um, and I was on the breakfast show Sunrise. You know Sunrise on Channel Seven. Really? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I need to look this yeah. up. <laughs> it's on my YouTube. I, I think I think if you go Sui Magic Sunrise on YouTube, I think you'll be able to yeah. find. Yeah, I think you'll be able to find a YouTube clip that I was performing for. I was I look very young, and um, but anyway, so so that's that was my previous life. So I've I've had I've had I've, I've had to hide, hang. I see it. I, okay, <laughs> I've, I've had to hang that head up. But, uh, but yeah, my my, my website's still oh. there. I, my, my website's still there because it's a bit of nostalgia, and I can't. I, I feel I don't want to get rid of it. You know. So so yeah. So that's how I found out about Vin.
1: How did you get into magic then? So, obviously, actually, I feel like we need to wind this back to, to dentistry a little <laughs> bit, but I'm so excited hearing about this. Um, So, you studied at, graduated from Otago, right? And then you made the move to Australia. Was that immediately?
0: No. So, I did one year as a house surgeon in Dunedin first, and then I made the move to okay, Armadale. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Then I made the move to Armadale. So, oh. yeah. So, okay. yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah. So. So that's that's my humble beginnings, really. And that's when I started magic because I was… So
1: when you moved to Australia? No, when I started
0: my house. Yeah. Because to, to learn… Oh, when you started… Yeah, okay. to, because to learn magic actually costs some money, you see, because you, you need to buy things yeah. to, to learn it and all that. And I, yeah. I was a poor student. I, I couldn't… I didn't know where to learn. The internet, believe it or not, wasn't that cr- big back then. <laughs> um, so, um so I didn't know where to source what you know where the resources to to learn magic. So so in my first couple of paychecks, I decided to <laughs> to buy some magic tricks on the internet and because um, and, and I could actually afford it and uh, and that's how I, how it all started. And yeah, I started making balloon animals with a triplex syringe and um, for my for my yeah for my pediatric patients in the hospital. Uh, and the triplex syringe is the perfect device to blow up animal balloons, you know? So, <laughs> uh, yeah. so yeah, I was known in my, in the, in, in dental school as the magician, you know, cause I was like twisting animal balloons and doing tricks for people and stuff. And, um, yeah, so it, it's a cool, it's a, it's a really cool hobby to have, uh, side by side with dentistry, um, and it's actually quite helpful when it comes to dentistry, actually. So I was going to say, like, because in when you do a magic trick, you are conditioning the, pa- uh, the, oh, the patient, you're conditioning the audience to almost do what you want them to do in a way. You're conditioning your audience to look in a direction that you want them to look and not do the sneaky stuff or whatever you want to do. Like, you know, that's what we call misdirection in magic so you are using your words and your actions to condition their psychology so in a way that's what we are trying to do in dentistry isn't it you know you're using words and your actions to condition your patients to keep their mouth open or you know whatever and not be worried about the dentistry you know it's just whatever right so so it's actually quite useful in certain parts of uh, of dentistry um, but you know, I did I did magic just because I wanted to, and it's fun and it's uh, cool to do magic tricks at the time. But yeah, it's, it's yeah. No, yeah.
1: I, I'm sure you were popular with your patients, and maybe that's another trick of giving painless la, right? The art of misdirection.
0: <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe. Yeah. And and I have tried to use misdirecting techniques, I guess, in local as well. But I don't know. I, I think it, it sounds good in theory, but maybe not. Um, but I mean, I I learned um, uh, a few tricks from my pediatric specialist here in the she's excellent with kids. Um, but and she uses a bit of hypnosis, and and obviously hypnosis is a branch of magic as well. And um, so we were we were talking about running uh, some courses together and all that sort of stuff, but that never came to fruition because of COVID and whatnot. But but you know what is hypnosis? Hypnosis is just using words and conditioning patients to to think a certain way and all that sort of stuff. So it is very similar in a way, but it's obviously a lot more in-depth than that, but but it's, it's it's definitely helpful. All these skills are helpful in dentistry.
1: Yeah. yeah. You never realize that until there's so many different aspects and like, you know, sports and magic, like <laughs> everything comes, everything just becomes dentistry, huh? We're well, we just nerds. <laughs> we are just nerds.
0: We are just nerds. And, and yeah. I guess we, we just… I don't know, I've always, this is, this is why I said to you earlier that dentistry might not have been my chosen, should, might not should have been my chosen career, because I just dwelled into all this other stuff as well, um, <laughs> because I just felt like, you know, dentistry might not be 100% me, you know, and I think that's probably why I tried all these different crazy things, and uh, to try and find my... To find who I am in a way, you know, to try and find uh, my purpose, you know, if you want to say that. And um, so, it, but it, it all adds to it, you know, it all adds to the, the the full picture of who you are and as a dentist as well as a human, you know, human being. Because you, I guess you don't want dentistry to define you, right? You don't want dentistry to be the only thing that defines you because one day you can't do dentistry. One day you have to retire, you know, one day you have to give it up. So if dentistry is all you've got, that's, that's, that's a sad thing. Um, you, you want to have some other things in your life, especially if you have kids and family or whatever. You don't want work to be the only thing. Definitely not. I mean, especially now. I have, I have two daughters. You don't, I don't, they don't want to know about work. They don't want to know about teeth, right? So, so you want to have all these other interests to, to you know, relate to them in a way. Um, like my, my daughter was talking to me about, what was she talking to me about? Something on YouTube or something. And I was like, oh, what is that? And she looked at me, rolled her eyes, because she's a teenager now. She she looked at me, rolled her eyes, <laughs> and she goes, oh, dad, surely, you know what this is, right? And I'm like, oh, yeah. God, I don't. <laughs> Please educate me.
1: <laughs> dad, uh, you're so old yeah, now. Yeah, you're so old. Yeah, <laughs> so. No, well, I'm sure our listeners would have would hear me say this all the time, but I feel like the beauty of dentistry is the opportunities that it provides us, which is why we love having chats with different people in the industry because everyone's up to something different, right? You've got the people who are, you know specializing or super GPs or practice owners or educators or magicians and weightlifters. Just there is so many opportunities that dentistry provides us and allows us to you know explore different avenues and then connect them and inter intercept them in different ways. So I find that really really fascinating um I kind of wanted to dive a little bit more into your journey in Australia Suey and a question we've had before from some of our listeners is just actually the differences comparing New Zealand and Australia and you've had I guess the advantage of working um, in both how do you compare Australia and New Zealand's dentistry
0: the, this is a tough one because when I was working in Australia so I was working in a rural town called Armadale uh, and that's in New South Wales. Uh, it's about a one hour's drive north of Tamworth. If you guys know what Tamworth is, the, where the country music festival is held every year. Uh, about two hours uh, inland from Coffs Harbour. Uh, and it's pretty much bang smack in the middle between Sydney and the Gold Coast, or Sydney and Brisbane, I suppose. So it's quite rural. It's 25,000 people. And um, so the, the the working environment there, I I feel can't, I can't compare that to everyone else because it's it's, it's so different. It's quite unique unique place. And uh, and then, but I did spend some time in Newcastle. So I, I I worked in Newcastle for a year and a bit because my wife at the time was doing uh, uh university at Arimba University. So so, and that was. I worked in uh, Australia twelve years ago. Yeah, so so this is <clears throat> this is when the preferred provider thing was just coming. It was just tricking on, and I just felt you know the 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 working environment now compared to when I was there is quite different. I, I don't think it is it, comparable. If I want to make a a, a, a comparison, I would say that working in Australia, I find New Zealand dentists a little bit more conservative than Australians, uh, whereas Australia, the I guess the dentists are more willing to do CPD and do more things uh, themselves, you know, like, you know, tackle more difficult endos or uh, full mouth stuff or implants, whatever. Whereas in New Zealand, I find there are less Dentists willing to do things like implants. You see, Um, I would probably say where I work, there's only two, maybe three dentists doing their own implants,
1: like placing. Which is very different to Australia, where every second person is doing it.
0: Yeah, Yeah. 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 same with Mm -hmm. wisdom teeth. You know, Um, I can probably say there's only maybe two or three. A bit more I think two maybe four dentists in where I work that are willing to give wisdom teeth a go, and uh, and these dentists are ones that usually have had some hospital training, they're a little bit more experienced, whatever. whereas in in, in Australia, it just seems like <laughs> you know the, you're a new grad and you're like, right let's get let's, let's, <laughs> let's, let's hit the wisdom teeth. So I don't know I don't know whether there's pressure. From the practice, I don't know whether that's expectation, unwritten expectation. I don't know, um, but I just feel that if I can pick on something, I would say that's the difference. In terms of people, I think Aussies and Kiwis—they're all kind of the same, really. I mean, we're all yeah, we're all a bit… brothers, sisters, yeah, we're we're all about the same. Like, I mean, you know, we all talk funny and we <laughs> we all have our <laughs> we all have our accents, but. I think yeah. we're all the same. I mean, where I work, it was quite rural Australia, you know, so it's a little bit, it's a bit different. Laid I think. back, yeah, yeah, it's a little bit different. You know, if I was in the metro area, that I think that would have been quite different because my the population I treated was mainly uh, Europeans, you know, like European Aussies, right? Whereas I know some, where, whereas I know some of my uh, my colleagues in in metro, if they are working in a predominantly. Uh, area of a certain culture they're like sitting they're, it's, like, it's like almost working in a foreign country almost or <laughs> something um, you know um, but yeah I, I think it all, it's all different right Australia is it's just so uh, big it's just so big that you can almost find different you know areas within the state um, so so yeah I, I, I don't know if I can offer too much value in that comment in that question because I just feel it's been so long. Since I worked there, um, yeah because I left Australia in 2014 uh, to come here to do my postgrad training and I just kind of stayed so it's been almost ten years since I was there yeah I think I know I know things have been it's quite different like when I graduated from dentistry so this is in '04 man Kiwis can just go to Aussie like that and find a job easy you know they were just welcoming us like. Just come, you know, we need we need it. And then um, there's a big exodus of new graduates every year to Aussie. And I know a lot of my classmates are still there, still in Aussie. Uh, but now it's a little bit different, I think. Maybe it's COVID, maybe it's the, the need in New Zealand, perhaps. I would like to think that more graduates stay in New Zealand because there's definitely not enough dangers here
1: which I was going to say I find that an interesting comment that you make because in Australia it's like oh we have too many graduates and we have so many dental universities whereas correct me if i'm wrong is it only Otago? Yeah it's that only Otago. dentistry. Mm-hmm. So would you say the bulk of like dentists in New Zealand have all graduated from Otago or do you get a lot of like Australians coming over to New Zealand? So
0: Australia New Zealand has a Trans Tasman agreement so if you graduate from Aussie, you you're, you're pretty much great registered in New Zealand if you graduated from New Zealand you pretty much can get registration in Australia so so it's almost like the same um, I would say that we do get some Aussies and stuff and um, you know before COVID we used to have Americans you know we used to have whatever uh, all sorts um, but I would say the majority do are grad- uh, graduates from Otago um, we do yeah I don't know I mean there's not that many Aussies here at the moment to be honest but um, but yeah, there's only one school. There's only one school. And and if, the, if if half of that, if half of the graduating class skips over to Aussie, it's a bit of a problem. Um, and and I, I think the whole dental, uh, dentist uh, quantity problem is not because we have too many dental schools or too little dental schools. It's that the distribution of dentists is a bit of a problem. I think we definitely need more dentists in the rural setting. Uh, I think that's, that's where it's really in the need, you know. Um, because people feel think, people seem to think that if you go into rural practice, all you're doing will be like patching up stuff and taking out teeth or something. Um, whereas I don't think that's truly the case. Like, I mean, the practice I was at, I was doing full rehabs and stuff and, and, and really complex uh, things, you know. No, definitely, it all depends on the practice that you go into. Definitely, it's not it's not the it's not the area so much. To be honest, I, I really think that you got to find a practice that does some good, quality, uh, proactive dentistry rather than a more reactive type dentist practice where you're just like seeing emergencies all the time and you know fixing the fractured tooth that happened you know so um yeah you know when it's it's hard with new grads trying to find the, the best job to be honest
4: as dentists and dental students we all have difficult days You may experience workplace or training demands that have a direct impact on your physical, emotional and psychological health and well-being. This is exactly what dental practitioner support is for. It's a completely confidential and independently run service that's funded by the Dental Board of Australia in an effort to support practitioners and dental students right across the country. Sometimes people call just at the end of a long day to debrief, but sometimes they call because there's more challenging things going on.
1: Sure. So you were saying that around this time, so 2014, you made the move back to New Zealand to pursue, you know, your 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 postgraduate training. Actually, so I feel like this is a something that's a bit confusing to a, a lot of us because um, in Australia, in terms of like oral surgery, right? Obviously, we have like the OMFSs, and then. In New South Wales, we also have oral surgeons, yeah. but that's not the case in all the other states. And a lot of people get confused between the differences. Yeah. What's it like in New Zealand? It, it, Do you have
0: yeah, that distinction? Man, that's a can of worms. You know, that's a can of worms. Yeah.
1: Um, <laughs> I saw the sign and I'm uh, like, oh, where did I start? <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah, you know, this is this is a very political issue. Um, it's, a, it's a really complex issue because, so obviously you have two I guess, specialties, right? You've got the oral maxillofacial surgeons and then you've got the oral surgeons, okay? Now, oral surgeons are not oral maxillofacial surgeons. Let's just get that straight because we do not have the same training as maxillofacial surgeons. Maxillofacial surgeons have uh, nowadays a dual degree of medicine and dentistry and you have to go through a pretty rigorous training program, very difficult exams, very difficult examinations, uh, and the training program is hard. You know, the training program is difficult, um, and you have to learn oral surgery as well as ma- as well as maxillofacial surgery. So, maxillofacial surgery is obviously things like automatic surgery, facial fractures, cancer, head and neck cancer, um, soft tissue reconstruction, free flaps, that sort of stuff, right? Some some serious stuff. Um, but to 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 summarize, it's mainly hospital based. Treatment, right? Because you're not going to do a head and neck dissection in prior practice. Um, you're not going to do you're not going to do a Lefort one osteotomy fracture in prior practice. So, so a lot of this stuff is hospital based type treatment plans, uh, treatment treatment that you provide. Whereas oral surgery is just oral surgery. You know what we're doing is mainly dental alveola, if you like. You know we're doing wisdom teeth, dental implants um, biopsies, the the, biopsy stuff, we can do all that. Um, and, and all that sort of stuff. So it's a lot, the training is a lot more concise. It's a lot more narrow if you like. So obviously because oral maxillofacial surgeons can also do the work of an oral surgeon. I think that's where it all gets very uh, muddy because yeah, it's very muddy because, uh, maxillofacial surgeons do maxillofacial surgery stuff in the hospital, but then obviously maxillofacial surgeons also work in prior practice Um, where they do oral surgery stuff so so that's the that's the blurring of the lines there a little bit so obviously some maxillofacial surgeons don't like that they they, they don't like that blur Um, and some oral surgeons don't like the fact that maxillofacial surgeons don't like it you know Um, so i i tend to take it from a different angle here and say look there, are, there is so much work out there. Like they're, they're crying out for uh, work, okay? And because the maxillofacial training program is so long and so uh, uh, intense, because even after you finish maxillofacial surgery and you get your college recognition, you, you are encouraged to go overseas to do a fellowship in something, right? You're encouraged to go overseas to do a fellowship in head and neck cancer or orthodontics or, or whatever. Uh, And then you come back and work, right? Then you're fully qualified maxillofacial surgeon. So, so there's so much work out there for the simple stuff. So we're talking, we're talking exo of upper sixes that are close to the sinus. We're talking wisdom teeth. We're talking simple biopsies, uh, whatever. Okay. All these things. And maxillofacial surgeons, there's not enough of them. To do everything, to do it all, because they still need to do the big stuff at the hospital. So I find, I, from my point of view, I feel that we should have more of a synergistic relationship, where oral surgeons do all that stuff, you know, and leave the and leave the big boy stuff to the maxillofacial surgeons, you know, because if the maxillofacial surgeons is taking out one upper six. It doesn't. It, it, it takes time away from their actual skill set of doing maxillofacial surgery. So that's my that's my point of view because I just feel we should work together.
1: There's enough food at the table for I, everyone. I think right? so. I believe yeah. so,
0: but I think not everyone thinks so. But I just feel we should work together. At the very least, we should at least be civil <laughs> and, mm. and, and, <laughs> and 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 be collegial. And work together. I understand there's a big difference in training. I understand that you guys, the maxillofacial surgeons have done a lot more heart yakka to get to where they are. I get that. I'm not denying that fact. I, I, I at one stage, wanted to do maxillofacial surgery. I had a long conversation with my consultant at the time, whether I should embark on it. But the fact that I was an old fart at 36, starting my, my journey, uh, and with two kids at the time, we decided that for the sake of my family that I cannot embark on maxillofacial surgery at this point in time, financially and everything else.
1: Just other priorities in life, Yeah, right? there are priorities yeah. in life.
0: There are priorities in life, unfortunately. And those things do take priority over, over on call, <laughs> I suppose. Um, so I wanted to do it myself personally. And I, I love the specialty. I think it's wonderful. But unfortunately, I had to choose this path to, for the best for to, 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 to have the best decision for my family so but it still doesn't solve the problem right it still doesn't solve the problem of what, what's going on here with all the different hierarchical issues um, so it's a, it's a it's a big political thing at the moment and and obviously there are some powers at play but ultimately my goal is still to look after the patient you know If the patient comes to me and I'm like, okay, look, this is a maxillofacial thing or this is an oral medicine thing or whatever, then I'll refer. It's not like I'm going to be silly about it and go, I'm going to tackle something that I'm not, you know, we've had, I had four years of postgrad training from, from maxillofacial surgeons. So I very well know what I'm capable of and what I can do safely and what, you know. And all that sort of stuff. It's like the whole OHT with adult scope problem, right? Because I, I have some good friends who are OHTs with the adult scopes, and they know that they're not going to do some crazy stuff, right? They they know that this is they they know their limits, and, and dentists shouldn't have to worry because we they can do all the silly little things, the clusal filling or whatever, silly little things, and then it, it, it clears up the dentist time to do more dentistry type things um, and I get that angle but the problem in New Zealand is that we have such a pediatric crisis right now that we need OHTs to do the kids you know we the kid that OHT shouldn't like they, they, they need to dedicate their time to the kids not to do a little occlusal filling on an adult but that's a different conversation so, so I just feel and, and, and actually it also has parallels with hygienists as well actually because uh, when I started working in Australia, we had two hygienists working in my practice, so I initially thought, oh, you know, I should be doing the clean, blah blah blah. But I have I I I think that hygienists is wonderful because they do the cleans, and then the, when the patient comes back to me and their periodontal disease is like it's managed, and I can do my crown without the gingiva bleeding like a whatever, I'm like happy, yeah, you know. And I have never had to clean someone's teeth, so it's taking time away from you to do the menial tasks for you to do other things you know so it's a little bit like that i suppose uh it's not about taking patients away you know it's not about stealing your patients it's not nothing like that it's about looking after your patients i still think at the end of the day so my consultant actually said to me that um because we had this discussion as well and my consultant's a maxillofacial surgeon and we've had this discussion and he and he said to me is that i have no problems with oral surgeons because they can do all the stupid little exodontious stuff Uh, And I can focus on my, you know, I can focus on my trauma and my cancer and my orthodontics and stuff like that because that's what maxillofacial surgeons are trained for.
1: I really like your um, drawing that parallel with hygienists. I think that really puts things into perspective and it's just like working to your greatest potential or your highest skill set, making the most of that. And I think a lot of it, actually, you can say the parallels are in any situation where there is teamwork, right, like in any organisation where it's just delegating roles where everyone kind of focuses on their area of expertise and working on that and delegating other things to other people who like if anything, like hone in and specialize on just doing that one task. 100%, yeah.
0: 100%. And, mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and it's all about teamwork, you know, because we are not good enough to know everything. I don't know everything. You know, I, I trust my colleagues and my partners to know more than me in a way because that's how we add to the pool of knowledge to, to help the patient because what are we here for? To help the patient, Right. So so we are here to work together to help to help out each other. Um like that's why I have no problems a doing uh whatever, you know. I don't care. As long as they're doing it to high quality, sure, go for it. I don't care if a general dentist is doing wisdom teeth. If they're doing it safely and doing it to high quality, great. That's fantastic. Uh I have no problems that's why I have no problems teaching general dentists to take out wisdom teeth and stuff, because if I'm training them to do it properly and safely and assess it properly and all that. Great. Wonderful. You know, uh, it takes, it takes down the waiting list. They don't, the patients don't have to probably pay specialist fees. Everyone wins. You know, the dentist gets to do more stuff. Great. Good. Um, as long as, again, you know, your you know, you know, your boundary, you know, your barrier, uh, your limit. Uh, but here's the thing. How do you know your barrier and your limit is by education, isn't it? So that's the only way you're going to know, not, not from watching YouTube videos and, and on Facebook, right, is to, is to have education. And where, who's going to provide that education? Specialists, I would say. Specialists or, or experienced dentists um, have to provide that education so that you get educated, <laughs> so you know what's right, what's wrong, what's, what's hard, what's difficult, what's easy. Because the problem with us when we are new is that we don't know what we don't know?
1: Don't know. Yeah, yeah. And we, I was going to say that too. Yeah, you. and and mm-hmm. then we
0: don't know if this is a difficult one, and we don't know if this is an easy one. So we just dive in, thinking it's easy, but it's actually difficult. That's when things hit the, hits the fan. Bad things hits the fan, and, and then <laughs> and then they just get in trouble, and then they, and then they lose confidence, and then you don't do it anymore. And and who wants that? Who who wants that? So, I just feel that's why the education space is so important, and, and I just feel you know my job as an oral surgeon is actually to teach general dentists oral surgery that's I see that as why my one of my main goals in my life <laughs> to to pass on all this knowledge so that you know when to refer so 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 a lot of people say, "Oh, don't teach general dentists because then they'll do stuff and they won't refer to you." I'm like, I I would probably say I've gotten more referrals, after because they know
1: better. Yeah,
0: right? after I've teached. it's like it's 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 like an oxymoron in a way. It's like so. Does, that's why I feel like why would some spe, like some specialists are very anti teaching general dentists doing stuff? But I I feel that's quite wrong. Uh, I I think that's dangerous actually because then you will tackle stuff that is not good not tackleable by them, and then then, then that's when problem happens Um, like i was very lucky going back to the maxillofacial surgery thing and oral surgery thing i was very fortunate and lucky that i was trained by three maxillofacial surgeons i was very fortunate very fortunate Uh, i i don't think that experience would have been anywhere else i could get so now they taught me everything like They didn't care that I was an oral surgery post-grad. They didn't care if I was a diploma post-grad. They didn't care if I was a maxillofacial registrar. They, their aim was to teach me everything, right? Because if you know everything, then you have the knowledge to make the right decision. You know, I got to assist them with some maxillofacial stuff, some maxillofacial surgery things, which I would never do. I would never do that. But I, would get, I got to assist them in it. Because their philosophy is that if, if you are able to treat this much then, and you're only allowed to do this much, then what you do is so easy if you know how to do that much. So, so you are a better specialist at the end of the day. So just because you're not going to do it doesn't mean that you shouldn't learn about it. And, and I got that saying from my first mentor in general practice because he wanted me to learn ortho, right? Right. So I I didn't really want to learn ortho but he said no go and learn ortho um this is the CPD stuff you go okay go do this course go do that course whatever okay so I went and did all the things out there at the time for ortho now did I end up doing ortho no <laughs> I I I actually didn't I actually didn't enjoy ortho very much but because I've learned the theory and I've learned and I've done some cases and I've learned all that stuff it made my pros better it made because i understand occlusion a little bit better i I understand smile design a little bit better because i know how teeth are meant to be arranged and whatever it made my oral surgery better because you know i still do canine exposures for orthos and all that sort of stuff so i can i can talk the language with the ortho you know I, i understand how what they are trying to achieve here and all that sort of stuff so just because you don't end up doing it doesn't mean you should not learn it
1: I think that's a really, really valuable, um, like, mindset that you have. Like, I really like that where it's, like, teaching the peop- like teaching other people what to look for. I, I get this, like, vivid memory of just being in, like, first or second year in Sim Clinic when we're drilling um, our little plastic teeth, right, and you're doing, like, a little cavity prep, and you show it to your tutor, and they're like, well, tell me, like, you tell me what you think of it, and all I remember is just... <laughs> I don't, I don't know how to tell you what I think of it because I don't know what I should be looking for. Yeah, yeah. And I feel like that's kind of that situation, even when you're saying like, oh, assessing the difficulty of an extraction. It's like, I don't know what I don't know. I don't know yeah. if this easy, is this difficult, is that close to the IAN, is yeah. that close to the sinus? Like, you don't know what you don't know. And I think you have a really valuable attitude towards that where you're like educating people so that they understand the complexities, but also appreciate the skill level of a specialist as well. And then knowing, okay, this understanding when it is out of your scope and then to refer as opposed to not knowing and just jumping into it and getting yourself into trouble.
0: And on top of that, when you Mm -hmm. know, you can actually tell the patient why you're
1: referring.
0: Because I have a lot of patients that come to me from my dentist, some, some, not all, but some, that they, they sit in my chair and, they, and I say, oh, you've been referred for this. And they're like, yeah, I had no idea why I was referred for this, you know. And then like I saying I thought my dentist can pull this tooth out, but he said no. And I'm here. And I'm like, okay, well, that's not good communication, is it? You know, <laughs> the patient's completely lost and in the dark. And I have to do all the explanations, you know. So as, as, at least if you you know, skill set number two in terms of communication, right? Skill set number two, communication, and add that to the knowledge, then you can communicate to the patient and say, look, you know, these are really long curly roots near the sinus. This could happen, blah, 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 blah. Uh, and then if the patient goes, oh, what if I have a hole in the sinus? Now, if you know the knowledge, you can tell the patient then right there and then, you know, that you, you don't have to have the skill to go, oh, yeah, you know, I can have to harvest the buccal fat pad and all that sort of stuff. But about, you know, you you can at least tell the patient, give them some answers um, if, if the patient is asking you. You know, so um, ortho is a is a very good example if, because if if you say to the patient or the patient's child that, oh, I really think you should go and see an orthodontist, they might say, why he's got straight teeth? Because that's all you, they see, right? Straight teeth. So, like, oh, why you got straight teeth? Then you can say, you know what, you know, your mandible is retrognathic. They might need. Mandibular advancement, whatever. Okay, so so it's just knowing all these things and knowing like the, like all these different facets of dentistry. So you actually provide a better service to the to the patient as well. So so yeah, go on courses, teach, learn as much as you can from all your colleagues, not just specialists. You know, there are some dentists who are excellent at these things, and um, and, and 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 you know, just because I'm a, I have a piece of paper that say I'm a specialist doesn't mean. I'm better than you, you know. It, it just means that I've done a little bit more study, and I've done this thing called a thesis. That's it, <laughs> right? <laughs> right? Doesn't mean I'm better than people. It, it just, uh, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Network. I guess that's what's good about the internet and things. You can network, right?
1: yeah well that's actually it. so that's a very very good segue into my next question I was going to ask you actually in terms of networking oh, I think and I know where this DT is going of the internet <laughs> I think you know where this is going actually um, sometime along your practicing career you decided to perhaps make a, a little group on Facebook called uh, DPR which some of our listeners may be familiar with can we dive into actually what inspired you to then create this network oh,
0: that, that, oh, you know DPR, <laughs> at the time of this Interview okay, so today yeah. is the 23rd of July. DPR yeah. actually turned 12, no, DPR turned 11 years old three days ago.
1: Oh my goodness, yeah, wow,
0: three years, what a journey! I know, yeah, I know,
1: uh,
0: three days ago. So <laughs> it has been a journey. Let's that's, that's, that's not, yeah. <laughs> it's been an interesting journey. DPR, so, so yeah, so DPR ne- it was never DPR, DPR was called Dental Product Review
3: um, mm.
0: because. I was in practice.
1: Little Easter egg for everyone yeah. who doesn't know what DPR stands for. DPR. And, <laughs> yeah.
0: And, yeah, and DPR was born on the twentieth of July. There you go. Um, so, so I was in my practice in Armadale, and Armadale is a rural community, like I said. So there's not many dentists around, um, and the dentists don't really hang out, right? It's not like we all like buddy buddy and stuff, okay? So it's not like I can just go down the road and talk to my fellow dental friend. So, so back then the fa- Facebook. Kind of was just, you know, getting some momentum back then. So, and then I remembered my Henry Shine rep, that some of you might know actually, Mandy, who's been a Henry Shine rep for many, many years. She came in and then she was like talking to me about this new composite and blah, 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 blah. And I was like, you know, I never paid any attention in biomaterials. So <laughs> I have no idea. Whether what this composite is any good. Like, what on earth are you talking about? My nano crystals, what? What? I don't understand. Better polishing, what? I don't get it. So so she was telling me, oh, this is really good bond strength, blah, blah, blah. blah. I was like, oh, my God. I don't know, man. I just I just do the work. And as long as the patient doesn't have post-op sensitivity and the feeling looks good, I'm happy. Um, so then I was sitting at home going, there must be a way. Like, there must be a way to ask people. So I, I so so the history of it, here's another Easter So the history of it is that back then I, I was a, I was still doing magic, right? I was a very I would, my magic career was actually getting quite a bit of um, momentum. So there's a show on the on YouTube called the Wizard Product Review. Okay? Oh The Wizard okay. Product Review where they review magic tricks, okay? So these two magicians sit down, do a, do a, like a weekly YouTube show where they would review these new magic tricks that are coming out on the market, saying how shit they are, or how bad they are, or, or how good they are, or this is an awesome trick, or whatever. So I was like, this is cool. I was like, this is cool. Like, this is cool. They've done this for magic tricks. Why can't we do this for dental stuff? You know, I was like, why can't we do it for dental stuff? Why can't we have two geeks sitting on the podcast going, well? I bought a new intraoral scanner today, and uh, this is what I think of it. Whatever, right? Uh, that that's a good one there for you. You know that that'd be cool. So good idea. Yeah, good idea. <laughs> so I think someone's really done that, but never mind. So so I thought, <laughs> and then and then I was on Facebook, and then there's all these groups. I said, like, "What's this groups? What do you mean groups?" So I decided just to make this group called Dental Product Review, and then. I guess the rest is history because it started out, I think we had three product reviews. <laughs> and, and, and I think we had three product reviews and then, man, and then it just grew and grew and then people then start talking about stuff. And as you know, like, I mean, it's now it's now a beast on its own. And um, so because it's all changed, I decided to change the name to DPR instead of Product because not, no one talks about products anymore. Uh, the odd products product. anymore. <laughs> yeah, the, the odd product here and there. Yeah, but um, but yeah, I mean, people now, as you know, use it for a platform for all sorts of stuff. Um, some people have, you know, launched their own businesses on DPR, which is fantastic, and some people have, you know, use it to have ads, uh, job ads on DPR. And I know that some people have gotten good jobs from DPR, um, and I know some people have network with people they would have never have met on, on DPR. That's great. I mean, that comes back to the theme of working together and being collegial and, and, and all that. So it, 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 I feel fuzzy inside thinking about that. But unfortunately, some people use DPR for other not so good purposes. And that's what I feel sad about it uh, because there's always, there's always the bad bunch, I suppose. There's always, you know, in anything. Um, and kind of suppose it for everyone and I certainly have had my fair share of dramas that I had to extinguish over the years with Steve and Sahil and and, but overall I think it's done the community good overall Um, and you know I've played a small role in helping some people with that and that's great Um, and that's about it really Um, (laughs) I try to let Steve and Sahil do most of it now but like I am I I try and help out as much as I can as well.
1: Whether you're a new grad or an experienced clinician, there comes a point where our passion wanes and we lack direction and motivation for our profession. At some point, we all need a little bit of inspiration, something that helps take us to the next level. Presenting the Dental Summit 2023. Two whole days of incredible lectures from Australia's greatest CPD providers held at the Shangri-La Hotel in Sydney, followed by a cocktail night to remember so you can make those connections and network with like-minded dentists. So, in 2023, invest in yourself. Visit the webpage www.tds23.com to purchase tickets for September 1st and 2nd. And you can use our discount code DHS10 to get 10% off your ticket purchase. That's wonderful. And who would have thought, I'm sure you wouldn't have thought when you started this, you know, twelve years ago, just reviewing products that it become this humongous space that it is now with what like sixteen thousand uh, people yeah. or something like that it's on insane. the on it. A...
0: And and every day that I have you know, we have to approve people in, you know, because now we're trying to you know, we try and because usually, back in the day anyone was on it. Like there were some random people, not even dental people. So we try to keep it to dentists and dental professionals, obviously. But now, I mean, you look at Facebook now, how many Facebook dental groups are there? Thousands. There's a, there's, a, there's a dental air fryer group, you know, <laughs> um, that I'm part yeah. of. And there's a, oh,
1: that you're part? Did you create no, that I one? Create, no, I didn't create it. I think Tori
0: think, I think, I think Lawrence was on the I don't know. But, but yeah. I was invited, or, or Howard maybe, uh, I was invited to the air fryer dental group. I was like, what is this air fryer thing? See, I didn't even know about air frying until I got invited into that dental air fryer group. Um, yeah, but there's so many good stuff on there now, you know, good stuff on the, on Facebook. But, but the, the, the trick is to be able to filter, you know, as a, as a new grad or as, a, as someone who's not uh, that experienced in the dental industry, you don't, know, you don't know what's right, what's wrong, what's dodgy, what's not and you don't know if this guy is dodgy or this goes good whatever we don't know so the, the problem is filtration now the problem is actually knowing what, what what there's so much information out there that you just have to kind of filter it and i think that's the that's the challenge now is to filter it i was watching a really cool video on you know the 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 online platform called masterclass you know the the where you can like sign oh, yeah. up for like cooking lessons and yeah, whatever. Yeah. It's really cool actually, mm-hmm. a masterclass. So I was I was watching this guy talk and he was saying that 30 years ago, 30 years ago or maybe even longer, when a patient goes to see a doctor or slash dentist slash whatever, the patient will trust what the professional says because they don't know anything. So they would trust the dentist or the doctor to say what's wrong with you, and they would prescribe the the treatment. And then as a patient, you would go, okay, right? Now it's completely different, right? Now the patient knows stuff from Google, and they right or wrong, you know, and they go to see a dentist slash doctor or whatever. And now they're like educated, right? So now they're like telling you what to do. So the roles. The roles have kind of reversed. So your job now is not actually to give your patient information anymore because they've got the information because information is so readily available. Your job now is to actually filter the information for your patients. So the role is different. So you're not going to say to the patient, oh, no, that's wrong. Don't listen to this person. No, you don't because that's just negative, right? So you want to now say, oh, okay, that's an interesting study that you've got from the internet. But they actually did the studies on only five people, so it's not really reproducible. Instead, look at this study. You know, this study shows this, 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 this. You know? So your job now becomes more of a of a filter of the information rather than the information giver now. You see? So it's a it's a different mindset because you always get those patients that come with like I've done my research on the internet, sort of deal. So, so it's a, it's a it's a different role now that you do. And I actually quite like what he said about that because you you are infiltrating the information for your patients, trying to go, okay, that's not so good, that's good, that's good, that, that's okay, whatever. So, um, um, but that's a danger for dental students and new grads on DPr and. You know all the other all the other Facebook groups out there. You know Instagram. There's so many actually now. Instagram is is probably more uh, more crazy with all the dental groups now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I must. Absolutely. I must say, no, I, I learned stuff. from oh. I must. I learn stuff from from looking at it. Yeah.
1: No, I think so too, and it's it's interesting to see how we grew from a tight knit group where it was probably you know just a group of friends or people like you knew everyone that was in the group, and then now it's just become you know this huge platform where anyone and everyone really is on it, and there is so much content that just comes through every day. I was actually going to ask you like what tips do you have for students and new grads who are joining DPR and don't really have that understanding of oh what's good content, what's bad content because this is like the talk of the lunchroom, right? Is that they'll be like oh did you see what was posted? posted on DPR the other day or like, oh, did you see what so-and-so said? And it's like we don't have that context of like, oh, is this person a reputable person or is this – con like, you know, what is this content? Like you don't know. You're just like a blank sheet of paper. You're naive. It's just whatever people say, you kind of take it as gospel, right? And I know it's a very tricky situation to be in. Filtration is very – like there's a lot of finesse to it. But do you have any tips for like how to filter? Oh,
0: God. (laughs) It's like saying yeah. how to filter your friends in a way, isn't it? are like, yeah, okay, yeah. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, oh, no, don't hang around him, you know, <laughs> whatever. In a way, it's, it's kind of like that. you got to choose your friends, I suppose. But in terms of how to filter, my goodness, that's a – I don't even know. I don't even have an answer to that. Like, like, how do you know, unless you've been on DPR for a long time, how do you know what they do? Because even Instagram – they're yeah, only posting the best cases. They're only posting, you know, the one out of a hundred cases, perhaps, that have gone well, you know? So so this is the problem. This is the trap that you go into. I think dental students just need to understand that what they're posting is their social media life, is their social media career, you know? Their, their real career could be very different, and... So give you an example, I have to give a talk about uh, some implants in about two weeks' time. And I asked the rep to give me some material to, for the lecture. And he gave me a few articles from this very, very, very talented prosthodontist in America. He's amazing. And I said to him, man, his work's so amazing. I, I, I feel so inadequate looking at it because I, I cannot even come close to replicating his stuff. And then my rep actually said, he goes, I bet you there's like a lot of failures as well. So don't worry. <laughs> that's, that's what he said. That's what he said. And I was like, well, that's so true. And sometimes even I have to remind myself that, hey, look, these are just the publicized cases. These are the pages that they want a bit of an ego stroke, if you like, on social media. So th- I think one of the first things to filter is to understand that, hey, look, this is not every day. This is not what you can achieve every day. Um, you cannot achieve perfection every day if if at all I don't think you can achieve perfection, and I think Lincoln said it best that you don't aim for perfection, you aim for excellent, you know you aim for good, you aim for uh, you aim for excellent work and I think that that's something that I've actually thought that's excellent way of thinking about your dentistry that you cannot be perfect. there's no such thing as perfect. Um, I actually had a dental student the other day said to me that she's so worried about being not being perfect and i said but what is perfect what is the definition of perfect is perfect a a, a perfect feeling that's smooth and 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 polished and stuff you know is that your definition of perfect or is your definition of perfect a feeling that's functional no pain and the patient can eat with it and all that is that perfect you know so what is what is your definition of perfect so that that's also quite a uh, important uh, thing to understand and um but social media' is a funny one you know I get I I remember when I came back to Dunedin and people knew me already before I came back because they're like oh this is this is the DPR man you know because they they, they know me from DPR and I got some slack I actually got some heat from certain academics here that what I've done was wrong what I've done um, to create DPR was wrong and how I have allowed this platform to exist. And um, and it hurt me actually at the time um, because I thought to myself, did I did a disservice to the profession, you know, as well? Um, but then again, if it wasn't me, it would be someone else. Someone else would have done it. Someone else would have done it. And at least I know Steve well and I know Sahil well, and I trust them to moderate it to the same philosophy and fairness as I will. Uh, and, 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 you know, I trust them to do the right thing as well. So, and I think it's worked fairly well. Um, but I think one thing you guys got to understand as well, if, if you guys are not sure about something, I'm only a click away. Like, I mean, I get, I get messages all the time on Facebook. Uh, and I'm sure Steven does too. Um, <laughs> that, you know, I get messages all the time about stuff and, you know, I'm pretty accessible and uh, I, I welcome people to message me about things. I don't mind, actually, um, because I'm all about networking and uh, collegiality and all that. So I actually don't mind.
1: No, yeah, that's wonderful. So always reach out. I think – it. Yeah, no, that's really generous of you. And Sui, I feel like you're you're such a generous but also humble person. It's been such an enjoyable conversation to have with you. But you were saying, you know, before when you said you copped a lot of slack for creating DPR, I feel like that's the thing with a lot of lot of these things. Like once you put yourself out there, like anything you do, it could have you know nine good things, but then one bad thing, and everyone's going to 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 criticize you on the one bad thing. But I feel like you know, yes, you said that there's a lot of drama that happens on DPR, not so good things not so good cookies, right? Um, But there's a lot of like, you know, incredible networking that's come out of There's so much inspiration, even all the cases that get posted, I feel like, yeah, um, it inspires a lot of people to pursue excellence, that there is so much more to dentistry that we don't necessarily know. So I feel like a good balance of it is actually very healthy. And I actually feel like what helps is having faces or like people on the other side of names, which is why like I'm having so much fun having this conversation with you. I think it's going to be so enjoyable for our listeners as well to be like, oh, this is who Sui Ong is. Like, you know, he's a person, he's a human, he's got a story to it. You're not just a Facebook name. Yeah, I would like to think so. Yeah, Yeah. but the benefit of, you know, attending courses or networking is that you meet those people who are behind the post and you realize Mm. they're not just that highlight reel of their best cases, but Mm. they're a person with a story as well.
0: So. It, it's quite interesting what you've said because I've met some of these people that on, on DPR that I've met, right? Mm-hmm. Um, meet. E-meet e on DPR. <laughs> e meet on DPR yeah. And then I meet them for real uh, for the first time. So, so luckily, I got to do that in a few conferences. I think uh, Nov's DPR was one of the first ones that I got to meet a lot of these DPR celebrities. Um, and, and I was like, they're so different in real life than they are on the platform. You know, like I, I had a different opinion on them when they are posting stuff and to actually meeting them, completely different people, completely different people. Now, some of them, yes, are a bit of keyboard warrior happening, uh, but some of them are actually, you know, completely nicer people on, on in-person. And that's great. I think that's, that's a wonderful mix, you know. Uh, and then some people, they think are obnoxious and rude online. But when you meet them in person, it's like, whoa, completely different. Nice guy, whatever, nice, you know, person. And it could be the opposite too. They could be like super helpful, super helpful online. But man, when you meet them on in person, they could be like this obnoxious, arrogant person, you know. Um, and I've had definitely have had that experience. Um, so it goes both ways. And I think I think that's one of the things about social media and the internet is that there's no – Body language, you know, there's no tone to what you're typing. You're making it up yourself as you read it, and uh, you could read one sentence ten different ways. Uh, so, so you gotta you gotta have uh, bear that in mind as well when you're when you're when you're reading all these things. um But yeah, meeting people in person is definitely a lot nicer. That's for sure. You know, there's usually there's usually some food that goes along with it. You know, that's usually
1: <laughs> which doesn't hurt. Yeah, that that's never hurts the me. <laughs> <laughs> Best peace offering, right? Just like, yeah, here's yeah. some food. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely, yeah.
1: Oh, oh wonderful! So we have had such a enjoyable conversation with you, and I want to wrap this up with just one final question, and I'll let you go. But this is a question we ask all of our guests on the podcast is that you know we've we're lucky to have a platform that reaches a lot of dental students and new grads, and I want you to kind of you know think back to when you were a new grad or you know even how you say that you actually have a lot of students that come and observe you or new grads that that work for you if you could give them one piece of advice, whether that be a clinical piece of advice or, you know, well-being, um, mindset. I know you gave your three golden tips before, but just one thing that you wish you knew or you could tell
0: Gosh, I people. think, <laughs> wow, there's so many to choose from. Uh, I'll try and come up with something uh, good. But um, I think the, 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 the most important thing uh, when you graduate is to know that your learning has just started you know your your learning has not stopped because you've got a piece of paper uh and you're registered dentists i think that's when your training actually starts is when you graduate from dental school um if you have the three keys with you then you know that your your training starts there because i see time and time again into students graduating, and they think that they know everything, and especially uh, at this era now with Facebook and what have you, social media, and because you get so much information, YouTube, especially you learn a lot from YouTube. Um, but <laughs> but treating patients in the real world in private practice, day in day out, patients after patient, that's a different beast. You know, that's a different environment that takes practice to 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 get good at. And, and that's that's your training. That really is your training. So that's, I think that's probably what I will leave you with is that uh, your training starts now when you graduate and your training comes from, so two things. Your training comes from uh, learning from mentors, learning from your colleagues, learning from your auxiliary staff, you know. So that means your hygienists, your HTs, your DAs, your you know, I've met some talented DAs uh, in my time, and I've learned a lot from my DAs in my time. Um, so yeah, so learn, be a sponge, learn as much as possible after graduation. Uh, then, in your mind, with the knowledge that you have, you can filter what's right, what's wrong, what what applies to you, what doesn't. But be receptive to every, all you know, uh, to to criticism in a way, and uh, be receptive to. Uh, knowledge really from from not just your superiors but from everyone you know i think that's really really important
1: yeah that's wonderful and i feel like i've said this actually to a few of my friends in real life but our listeners probably haven't heard me make this analogy but i feel like it's very much i don't know if you're much of a gamer see or you've played video games in your youth but i always feel like dental school is like the tutorial at the beginning,
0: <laughs> yeah, and like once yeah. we
1: once once we graduate, like this is where the real game yeah, starts. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah,
0: you don't get the hints that come up to tell you what to do yeah, the- <laughs> <laughs> It's like you might want to click this button to open that chest over there. No, no, it yeah. doesn't happen anymore. You got to do it yourself. Yeah, that's actually you gotta a really it out. that's excellent. I like that. I like that analogy. Yeah, <laughs> that's good. The other analogy that I use quite a bit. I know you're trying to wrap up, but the other analogy I use <laughs> sometimes as well is. Is I don't know whether you're a sport person or whatever, but like, say for mm-hmm. example, if you are um, if you're playing cricket or if you're playing tennis or golf, golf is a good one, right? So yeah, yeah. So when you play golf, you go to the driving range, right? So you you hit on the driving range to try and perfect your swing. You go onto the green to mm-hmm. you know you practice. You know, in cricket, you go to the cricket nets and you and you just uh, practice that way. Um, you know. All, all sports, you have like a, the practice, right? But when you go out mm-hmm. to compete, it's not like practice. The the, yeah. the conditions are variable. It's not flat and straight anymore. It's got like undulations on the course. There's yeah. trees, there's sand, there's weather, there's wind, there's all these things. And so it's not the same. The real world is not mm. the same. The competition is not the same as the practice. But the more practice mm-hmm. you do, it allows you to adapt to the real world situation. So so that's like dental school, right? Dental school is your practice. And then now you got to go compete. And it's going to be windy. It's going to be – it's got hazards <laughs> everywhere. And it's got an opponent that's trying yeah. to beat you in a way. So you have to try yeah. and figure it out. So, um, so yeah I, li- yeah, I like my analogies with, with sports. But I like the gaming one.
1: I like that it's kind of come full circle. We started the conversation talking about sports and <laughs> yeah. we've ended it on sports, and I think that's yeah. wonderful.
0: No, so, that Dr. Sui
1: Ong, thank you so much for joining me on this podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure having this conversation with you.
0: No, it's been so much fun. It's, uh, it's good to just sit down and, and not do anything for two hours and, and, and have, a little, <laughs> have a little chat. That's good. <laughs>